Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. It's time for our segment, Popular One Politics This Week. Joining us, managing editor, AnchorRising.com. Justin Katz. Justin, I want to start off, no particular order, but uh, we both saw social media. You have a Providence City Councilman. Folks, I have the story up on Demetro.com. The rest of the media, for whatever reason, they pass on it. But you have a Providence City Councilman that basically uh, posted. Now, Mark Patinkin of the Providence Journal, I think it's a good move. Um, I think it's one of the more ambitious things the Journal has done in a while. He's a columnist, but he also can act in the role of a reporter. I've been at scenes where Mark's come over and, and been a reporter, but Providence Councilman Miguel Sanchez took to social media to call him a disgrace to humanity because Mark Patinkin is going to travel to Israel, as he calls it, to report from the war zone. Let's break it down. I want to hear some of your initial thoughts. And by the way, I do want to give credit. It was Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe that drew attention to it and called him out on it initially. Yeah, well, I mean, it's what Sanchez and his brother Enrique in the General Assembly both represent is essentially the the straight from from school to politics uh route and i you you get the sense that a lot of the the folks coming out of high school college and so on these days they don't have any sense of boundaries they don't have any sense of kind of civic structure it's all politics all the time you're with me or against me Uh, the other side is evil there's no two sides there's no reasonable disagreement. That is what these progressive, up-and-coming progressive politicians represent. And that's what you see here. Patankin disagrees with them. And so he's a disgrace to humanity. And I think this this language is particularly dangerous because, and, and you're seeing this more and more, even among moderate more moderate Democrats, the other side is just not allowed to exist. They're they're illegitimate. You see, with, with say say Nikki Haley says something about the Civil War or the Confederate flag, and it's quote disqualifying. You know, so it's it's this this urge to dehumanize people to to disenfranchise them. Uh, it's it's in a sense like. Uh, Chinese struggle sessions where they would, if you had wrong, bad ideas, wrong ideas, they would bring you out and the kids would beat on you, make you wear a dunce cap and, and so on and so forth. That's kind of the attitude we're seeing permeate now. And I think it, it ought to be, you, you quipped that the rest of the media isn't paying much attention, which, you know, it's, it's, sorry to go back to the same old well, but if it had been somebody else, a MAGA, yes. MAGA Republican saying something comparable on the other political side, it would be the biggest deal in Rhode Island. Not that, not that such people are permitted to become, uh, to, to get into government at any high level anymore, but um, it's, it's a very, it's a concerning development and it ought to be getting a lot more attention because I think it's dangerous, especially because it's permeating the more moderate folks as well. What I also found interesting, Justin, was he was also then cheering. What people need to understand is the other side that they're accusing the Providence Journal, specifically Mark Patinkin, but that he shouldn't be allowed to write these things where he shows support for Israel over Hamas and or conversely the Palestinians, that it's 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 propaganda. It's almost Goebbels type propaganda compared to the Nazis. That's the part that. um I like how you also put then what should be the punishment that he is a disgrace to humanity. Yeah, well, that was my question for Sanchez. I mean, to be honest, I wrote a lot less, um, a lot less uh, friendly tweet in response, and then decided against it and, and thought I'd, I'd see if he could reason out what's the what's the what is that's the key yeah. question that's never asked what is the punishment okay you say he's a disgrace to humanity what does that mean to you what does right. that mean does that mean he loses his votes does that mean he he can be beaten in the street he should lose his job and go homeless what is it what does it mean or is it just a phrase we throw around like that's that guy's a nazi you know whatever who knows i don't know he could be he could be a jewish freedom fighter from the from 100 years ago he's still a nazi because whatever that's what i say I think to some extent, what worries me about the a lot of the kids, I don't know that I don't know that they've been trained to think. And so I think yeah, they're, they're able to have two thoughts in their heads at one time. And they're throwing out these words as if they mean nothing, these phrases, as if they're just like, oh, I don't like his opinion. Oh, he, he's a disgrace to humanity and should die. I mean, the, those two aren't comparable statements, right? Uh, I don't think they understand that you, you, these, these words have meanings. But at the same time, I'm, I'm not sure they would... 
if it turned around and somebody said, oh yeah, we're, we're going to fire Marco Tankin and, and send him to his dotage with no, no pension or whatever, he'd be, he'd be fine with it. Well, you know, he, he supported hom- uh, genocide. So yeah, good, he got his comeuppance. But we need to start having these people actually articulate what does this mean you're throwing out this right. phrase it's an inflammatory phrase what does it mean and, and frankly it's a lot like the you know from the river to the sea hamas chants what is right. what do you mean what do you mean by that okay i understand that you're do you mean everybody should be free and happy under israel you know or do you mean the jews ought to get out of there whether that means they die or not i mean what what is it you're saying there and they're never called on these things and i think they've been raised expecting never to be called on them and we, we saw this with other progressive uh Champions early on a few years ago, when um, you know you you can't challenge me. You meet people in the media shouldn't be challenging me. I'm a I'm an intersectional progressive elected that's official, right. so you you can't you can't challenge me. And I think that's 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 a shame. I think they've they've internalized that, a lot of these media people. And I think to some extent it's a shock troop thing. I don't I don't think the Sanchez brothers are, are quite this savvy, but it is a shock troop thing. The next reporter who's saying. Maybe I'll go to Israel. Maybe I'll support this this yep. Jewish group. Maybe I'll do this. I'll do this kind of reporting that shows the the, the conservative side of a story. In that balance, they're going to say, then I will be attacked. And they have to answer the question, do I want to be attacked or do I want to not be attacked by a city councilor in Providence? That that's a That's part of what they're doing. And I think it's been trained into them. I don't think these guys are smart enough to know that. And I think also you raise a really good point. I think that's probably also why a lot of the media are silent on this is because then they don't want to face the wrath. But with Justin, what I'm surprised is that no one is tied in is this is to me exactly the reason why the speaker doesn't want to have anything, any discussion about a resolution to support Israel, because they know that that type of whether it's maybe that's not going to be Miguel because he's Providence City Council, but his brother and some of the other progressives, they don't want to. You know, they want to treat it as like nothing to see here. Move along. They know this would spill out onto the floor of the House and then everyone would see what these people, you know, the views are of these progressive Democrats, how I believe they are anti-Semitic. That's to me ties in why they want, didn't want to have any discussion on that resolution supporting Israel that to their credit, uh, House Minority Leader Mike Chippendale and then also Brian Newberry, you know, brought to the forefront. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think they it's two things. They don't want people to see how radical the radicals are, but they also know that they'll come under they'll come up for the treatment. The the radicals will start protesting their their little fundraisers or showing up at their houses with their signs and, and they don't want that. So they've they've been managing to keep these these young radicals uh kind of quiet and in the fold up till now. But it, it, I think it's gonna get harder and harder for them to do that. Now, also, one of the things that just spilled out, and, and granted, it's minor, and of course, the rest of the media not picking up on it yet, but that Miguel Sanchez, again, he's a member of the Providence City Council, said Mark Patinkin, the renowned columnist of the Providence Journal, um, he's the only left, you know, last man standing over at the Providence Journal with some of the Bob Kerr left and Charlie Baxter retired. But one of the things he disclosed was he gives money to Steve Alquist, but also Bill Bill Bartholomew. Now, someone may say, okay, so what's wrong with that? Well, Bartholomew is Dan York's producer at WPRO. He's also filled in a lot. Um, You know, no one's picking up on what if we found out that Dan McKee, the governor, was secretly, because that's what it is, privately giving money to Ted Nisi of Channel 12, or if he was privately, uh, you know, behind the scenes giving money to Ed Fitzpatrick of the Boston Globe. I, I think that's something that both Bartholomew and the station should have to answer for, because I, I don't believe in the granted. I don't hear him a lot on the air, but I've, I've never heard of any form of disclosure of as I'm talking about this story, by the way, you know, Miguel Sanchez does contribute to me monthly. Right. Well, I think I like that you've linked these stories because I think it's, it's a very similar thing. I mean, these these sort of let's I mean, if we're if we're being honest, nobody who knows anything about them believes that Steve Alquist and Bill Bartholomew are objective journalists just doing their exactly. job. They're, yeah. they're activists. They're activists they who have turned this into an audience, and nobody nobody doubts that. It ought to be made clear. It ought to be made functionally clear, and it's kind of shocking to see what's happened to the media landscape in Rhode Island that, that he, Bartholomew is producing for York, and who, I mean, Anchor Rising once called him one of the you – know, the top five conservatives in Rhode Island or something like that. Huh. This was 10, 15 years ago. I don't, so I don't yeah. know what happened there that you've got. I mean, his, his producer at the time was Matt Allen, who's very conservative. So I, I don't know what 
talk radio in Rhode Island is at least on that station seems to be falling apart a bit. But uh, no, so nobody nobody suspects that Bartholomew is actually a journalist, and so you know, and and there's also all kinds of problems in media as we all know, uh, trying to piece together, how do, how do I make an income from doing this kind of work? Uh, so it's a very, it's a difficult problem for Rhode Island, for not just Rhode Island, for media to, to address. Uh, and, and I think, I think it, it ought to be discussed copiously. You know, it, we used to have a principle to over-disclose, right? Um, so I, I think that's, that's something that ought to be, ought to be addressed, but you know, I don't think the news media wants to address it so much because one, they're worried for their own income, and two, they're, they're, it's a it complicates their story, and most yeah. of them are on the same side. And so, I, I think it is a big challenge. But you know, on the other hand, you know, we we constantly get uh, members of the news media, mainstream, high profile, un, uh, certainly claiming to be objective journalists, going into government for for huge salaries, which I'm sure outstrip whatever Sanchez is giving uh, Bartholomew through you know his donation link. Um, so I. I that's that's a bigger problem to me, but it's it's all one and the same, and I think it comes back to just having no having no no sense of how to build a market and build an income for journalism, and it, it's a it's a major problem. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that the company Cumulus that owns, I'm sure that's against uh, the policy. Alquist is his own entity, but Bartholomew on the airwaves taking certain stands. I'm pretty sure in the aftermath of this, he defended. I'm not positive, but defended. Sanchez with the firing of Dan McKee and then not disclosing that he's actually privately receiving money. I think that's an interesting angle. One final thought on this, Justin, before we break. See, I now view Channel 36, Rhode Island Public Television, it's almost kind of like the baseball all-star game. They're all on different teams during the season, but one night they all come together. They're all on the same team. That's where suddenly you see all these different, you know, members of the media converging at Channel 36, where they say, ah, see, if this, if in a perfect world, we'd all just be working here. We wouldn't be at all the commercial properties because we're all kind of on the same team. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Lunch, dinner, drinks in the lounge, especially this time of year. So much going on. They always have a nice crowd right there. Full bar, large dining area right there in the lounge. Easy to get to, whether it's lunch or dinner. A great meal is waiting for you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery. Think of this, since 1994. That's right, celebrating the big anniversary this year. I'll see you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Justin, the next story. Now, you and I have disagreed regarding Attorney General Peter Navrona and uh, his uh, activity on X or Twitter, however people want to call it. But I, I have to say, I mean, now I, I know and respect and like both Tim White and Ted Nisi. But I just couldn't believe now they're regarded as two top journalists in, in our area, and they certainly tout themselves that way. But for them to have the sitting attorney general, and what I couldn't believe was he was actually answering the questions with Ted Meese says, some people, some people are saying you're almost Trumpy on Twitter, which is you can't come up with a bigger insult in the Democrat circles than to call someone like almost Trump. And then t- t- Tim White says, I'm just going to go out and say it. Some people are saying you're unhinged. Justin, number one, Neroni should have said, who? Who's saying that? Where did you read this? Where's this printed? Where can I see this? Who's, are these silent assassins? That's number one. Number two, now, I've never seen them, certainly that famous interview with Tierra Mack. They gave her a week to get her story together, but they're twerking. But what is your view on how I couldn't believe the treatment they gave Attorney General Peter Nerona? Well, as you said, we, we've disagreed on this. I think I think yeah. the questions were legitimate, uh, and actually, to be honest, I I wasn't too impressed with his answer. I mean, it was as if, look, I've been doing this a long time. It's it's very effective, you know, as if as if he's never sent a tweet he regretted, right? And I, I mean, he's he's he actually somewhat admitted to me on Twitter I, he he had sent tweets that day he had regretted. So you know, I I think it's it's an interesting area that the media should investigate, and I think the questions were legitimate, uh, honestly. But but what I think What's really interesting to me is that there are people saying that sort of stuff. I'm one of them. So uh, there, there certainly were who's that they could have could have cited. But here's where I think it's interesting is 
they won't cite those who's. They won't cite no. people like me or you. We're not allowed to be mentioned on these in these newscasts, and that creates this interesting problem where where you've got these journalists saying there are people saying this. What do you say? And it's a legitimate response. What you're saying is okay. Who? Who's saying that? And if if Ted Nisi had said or Tim White had said, oh, Justin Katz, he just said, oh, that guy. Why are you even paying attention to him? You know. And so I think that's that's part of the issue. They've they've cut out a whole group of Rhode Islanders who are not who don't count. You're not allowed to listen to the us. We're not. Our opinions are are useless. We're 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 not to be mentioned. And so, so to me, the irony is you can't then turn around and and. Just treat us as like this this anonymous blob source uh, that to to go against the the attorney general. So I mean that's I think it, it's it's interesting to watch, and I don't think anybody's really covering their, themselves in glory. And honestly, a lot of the a lot of the responses of the attorney general, like oh well, I got more money for this cause by doing this on Twitter. Well, you're the attorney general. Is that really is that really what you're supposed to be doing? I, is that really a your role. And I think that's, that's part of the complaint, you know, going after college students. So this guy again, you know, that kind of stuff. It, well, you know, it raises doubts if they would get a fair shake in the news, in the, in the attorney general's office, if something came up. And I think, so I think there are a lot of legitimate questions there, but I think uh, Rhode Island media and politicians have, have sort of placed themselves outside of where they can actually have interesting conversations about important topics because of their their political biases, their lack of tolerance. I mean, I had to log into another account to view anything from Ted Nisi because he's blocked me. So, I mean, that's that's the kind of the bizarre landscape we're in. And I, I think it, it tells in moments like that. I view it differently. I view it as if Ted Nisi wants to say, when I was reading your tweets, it seemed Trumpy to me. See, I come back to ask the question. In the same way, uh-huh. if Tim Weitz wants to say, when I read that, I, I saw it as you seemed unhinged. Again, ask the question. It reminds me of when someone says, your critics say, who? Who said that? Let me see where that's written. Because otherwise, when, when you go down, and I'm looking at this more of a, a, a media journalist type way. When you do that, you could easily say, some people are saying, you know, if you have a mayor, some people are saying there's corruption in, in that department. Some people are saying that there's stealing revenue from. I, I think it's if, to me, it's if you want to ask the question, then ask the question. Otherwise, put it up. Show a screen that says, look, Justin Katz says you were unhinged or that. To me, I view it as like a cowardly way to ask the question without really asking the question. Right, it is. It- saying. You know, by in saying some people are saying your critics are saying, ask who's saying that? Who's saying yeah. that? Because I I refute a lot of that, and I think he would have been better off saying, "Wow, who said that? Show me where can I read that? Who said that? I don't think people are saying that." My point is, I think he would have been better off challenging the way the question was posed. I I, I mean, you raise great points. It was a, a cowardly kind of way. It's a way to say. Well, I'm not. That's not necessarily my opinion as a journalist, exactly. and I'm also not going to cite anybody who who my sources are because you'll discredit them and me by, by proxy. And I agree with you. But I mean, it's it's kind of funny. I've I've my tweets have actually actually Nerona's tweets insulting me were actually in the Providence Journal. So they're they're willing to go the other way, right? When when he sure. goes after somebody, oh, he went after Justin Katz because he's worth going after. But they won't cite that sort of critique from from somebody like me as a reason for asking a question. I, I think you're right. There's there it's there's a cowardliness to it, and they ought to be more straightforward about it so that we can have this this real discussion. It'd be interesting to see the attorney general dismissing people like me, others, uh, as, as not worthy of consideration, right? Uh, or or just to, to, to know that Tim White himself thought exactly. that was going off the rails, and they, they won't yes. do that because they're, they're playing this objective journalist game, uh, which is, which is it's getting kind of old hat at this point, and I think it's, it's going to cause increasing problems as, as these newsmakers, not the show, but the people who are newsmakers, as they increasingly are out there in social media, uh, letting their personalities be seen by all. I think that's something that the journalists have to, have to figure out how to handle. Justin, uh, as we've watched uh, the both parties getting signatures for the presidential candidates for the upcoming presidential uh, primary to be held in Rhode Island, we're now we're finding, once again, they're finding the names of deceased voters on some of the voter rolls. This time it's the Republicans. Coventry was a big area, some of the other areas. What um, strikes me about this is still no one links it. They briefly mention 
the scandal with Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos, her congressional campaign. But what what I am just beside myself is none of them then link it to the the possibility for fraud when it comes to actual voting. That's almost like the that's where they draw the line. That is the the wall, the you know, the firewall that they just won't break through. And in fact, it becomes it becomes the opposite, right? It becomes oh, th- this shows how strong our local boards of canvassers are catching uh, catching the fraud, the potential fraud, or the the malfeasance. Uh, you know, it's it's an interesting story. I, from what I've been able to gather, it's not it's not necessarily uh, played up, but it, it seems to be associated with one of the candidates, Vivek Ramaswamy, yeah. who hired and it seems like a national company that does this sort of thing to get signatures. And I mean, the first thing right out the gate is it's not a good sign for Republican candidates if, I mean, they're not going to win Rhode Island in the general election, but if there's nobody here that's so excited that they're going to go out and gather hunt thousands of signatures. I mean, I think Trump and DeSantis did wind up with over 2,000, more than double the, uh, I, th- I think if I'm correct, maybe it was 1,200, but yeah. um, the... Uh, <clears throat> But the so there, that's a bad sign that there's nobody who's excited enough to go out and do that, and these these campaigns are having to out, sort of outsource to get find pay people. But some of the comments are that the this this private company that did it, an employee was intentionally doing this, which is kind of to me uh, a red flag. It sounds like sabotage, and frankly, compared to um, the Matos investigation, it, it ought to be a criminal investigation, not just oh we fired him, he's gone. Okay, well who was it? Go after them. That's fraud. That's, um, so I, I think there's a there's a lot of that to be said. And I, I but I think the the idea that we caught them all right. <laughs> this is this shows how good how good it is. There's there's no opportunity for fraud here. Uh, I, I think I think you're right on that. And also the the reluctance to tie it to to Matos and because that just seem, would seem like the natural thing. This follows right. on the controversy of the lieutenant governor. Who, exactly. Right, but, and, and you know if it went the other way, it would be that way, right? Um, but there, it's, so it's just the, the, the media game to, to kind of, well, see, this is a problem for both sides, and, it, and trust us, it has nothing to do with, with anything. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, mail ballots, to, if anything, the mail ballots are less secure than these okay. signature sheets. And that's a story that, that, they don't want to cover, and they, they yeah. really should, but they won't until it gets to the point that, that somebody like Vivek can come in and, and hire, you know, throw a bunch of money at some ballot harvesters and, and, and beat Joe Biden in Rhode Island or something. <laughs> that, would be, that would be when they'll start to wonder if mail ballots are a problem. But until then, uh, oh, they, they love it. They don't, want to, they don't want to cast any aspersions at mail ballots. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. AJ, drywall, plaster, home improvement, call them today for a free quote. You can also find them on Facebook, 401-323-9252. 323-9252, AJ, drywall, plasters, home improvement, frame to finish basements. What a difference it'll make in your basement. Acoustic ceilings. Look how beautiful your ceiling could be. New homes, additions, also commercial rehabs, painting, remodeling contact them today it's a family run business aj drywall plaster home improvements call for a free quote what a difference they'll make in your home your ceilings floors basements 401-323-9252 what a difference beautiful walls and ceilings 401-323-9252 you can also find them on facebook It's AJ Drywall Plaster and Home Improvements for your home or business. Our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Justin, Governor McKee is going to deliver his State of the State, but he's putting a lot into it. Didn't do any public events, uh, you know, releasing the photos of him practicing and so forth. I, I don't really understand the whole thing. But here's something that two elements of this so far that jump out. One is he's put out to the Providence Journal. He's looking to raise incomes. Um, that's frightening, especially that really should be for the private sector, unless he just means he's going to start giving raises to state workers, which would even increase the budget and increase taxes. But something that jumped out at me was the state budget has grown 46 percent over the last five years from nine point six billion 
in 2019 to $14 billion today. Um, I, let's uh, just preview. I want to get your thoughts on how much the budget has gone up, and now they're going to have to try to do a state budget without all of that COVID relief money coming in. And also, without having all the details, but the governor saying he wants to raise incomes in the state. <laughs> well, on that point, you know, I, I read that as progressives, Democrats, they, they think we all kind of work for government. They think government yeah. is like the everybody's a special interest to, to government's providing for us. That's that's their worldview. And it has been now for, for at least a couple decades. And I, I, that's what how I read that. You, but he doesn't have the power. He's not competent. It's, it's kind of the scam, right? You you have to have the large number of schmoes you can you can take money away from to give to your special interests to raise those special interests. That doesn't scale. You can't have everybody paying for everybody's big raises because that's that's what you get when you get super hyperinflation and everybody everybody starves to death. Uh, so I th- I think it's it's just an ignorant kind of thing a governor says because he hopes nobody will actually think about it. Um, as far as the budget, I mean that's that's always the setup. I mean the governor just touted that he he got another disaster approval you know and and we live by those rhode island rhode island is a disaster and so without disaster approvals that get us federal money we're in a lot of trouble and that's what you see with the covid the covid money and i think uh, focusing in on a particular area helps to, to understand this the uh Education commission, Commissioner Infanta Green is saying that schools are going to have to brace for a, a, a cliff of their budgets because all the COVID money is going away. Well, they're not going to take that lightly. At least a big portion of that is going to come out of local taxes. It's going to come right. from the state. Uh, and so they they relied on that money. They built it into their budgets. They said, look, this is great. This is how we get through in a few more years without trimming. And if you look at, um, on Anchorizing, I've got what I call a, a data armory, where one of the features is to look at uh, visually look at enrollment in Rhode Island schools. I have to update it, but I just took a look. And since the peak in 2004, uh, school enrollment, public schools in Rhode Island have dropped 15%, but 5% since right before COVID. And it's not going back. It hasn't rebounded. It's continuing to go down. And so what they're looking at is they've got all this money, and this goes for the state government too. They've gotten all this money they put it into maintaining their own little perks and not not having to trim their own belts. And now it's it didn't work. There's no big boost in Rhode Island. We just barely scraped by, and they're they're about to have to address that. And so what they're going to ask is, we want more money to give you the same crappy services and bridges falling down. Uh, and I think the, the education piece shows an important point. Okay, you're serving fewer people. Your the the results are terrible. Why do you get more money? Why is this justified? And I think that's the, the governor's not going to address any of this in his state of the state. He's going to he's going to talk about this. We're going to give this to you. We're going to give this to you. Look at the great things we're doing. He'll spin some numbers. Um, and I think that's that's where it is. I, I think we've got we've reached a, a bad point that these states of a state state of a state addresses are, are like the I don't know the president's state of the union or, or a big media event. I think it ought to be just ho hum. Here's my report to you guys. But um, right. They have to pretend, like we talked about with that, here were our successes last year. They have to pretend they're doing something, that they've got some ability to make incomes go up. They don't. All they can do is try to force some people to pay other people more money, which makes the first people leave the state or stop doing whatever it was that was making money in the first, generating money in the first place. Uh, they're, they're killing us, and <laughs> this, the governor's going to gloss over that. So it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of the talk like the adults in the old Peanuts cartoons, wah, 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 wah. That's that's. That's what I always hear when, when these states of the state uh, addresses are given. What do you make of the uh, photo posted by the AFL-CIO, Rhode Island labor leaders at the White House? Talk about infrastructure with the Biden administration. There's Pat Crowley, Michael Sabatoni, and Scott Duhamel with uh, Senator Lou De Palma. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. They, they look... It made me think of kind of like, I don't know, an 80s punk band that got to go to the, the White House or something, and they, yeah. they're all like half drunk. I'm not saying they were, but that's the image I have of the ladies' punk band. They're half drunk, like, look at us making fun of this whole political thing. Yeah. Uh, I know, it worries me. There, We, we talked, yeah. I think it was last week, about McKee being beholden to Biden and having oh, yeah. to go to his, his political fundraisers. <clears throat> those are the people that actually run the state, those those labor yeah. unions. And so I, what worries me, and I think people ought to take it as an indication of – that's they want to do to the United States what they've done to Rhode Island, uh, and and I don't know who the United States is going to turn to for disaster relief when when the, when they run the country. But um, I think that, that that was my my first impression was what a bunch of 
with a bunch of foolish looking people uh, and to be to be friendly about it and my second thought was oh man they they are making inroads and running the country aren't they uh, and I think, I think that's a terrifying prospect but but people also need to recognize they would not be there if there was a Republican in office oh no absolutely that, you know where that comes out just that also we learned that they're going to start putting up these pallet shelters uh, right apparently at the base of the parking lot of the Foxy Lady. What needs to be um, really examined here is, it's my understanding, it's going to cost about $4 million. Uh, the state, now it's these small sheds. They've been looking for a place to put them. There's state land there. They're going to start with 50. They're treating it as, oh, you know, it's just temporary shelter. Um, I think it's a mistake because it's free housing. Two people can live in them. Uh, they, they bring drugs they bring theft they bring crime and on top of that you're going to start with a, i think it's about 50 50 of these shelters but to me this is just the beginning where if you grab one of these shelters these people number one they're never going to want to give them up and number two what's the point of going out getting a job trying to save money pay rent if then you just have this free state little shed that you can call your own and crash in yeah, I mean, I to, to me, it's it, I've often felt a lot of our problem is we in Rhode Island is we don't give we don't we don't give full measures. We do half measures. We you, yeah. you, sometimes in, a, in a, even when you in places that are more bipartisan, you you end up with the worst of both worlds because neither side gets its full image. And I think this is what that kind of feels like to me. On one hand, you know, I'm for helping people, but then you see that they're they're going to have dog runs and, and yeah. pets will be allowed. And, you know, I, you know, I, if somebody's down on their luck and they need a temporary housing, I'd hate to have them get rid of their, you know, their lifelong pet and have to do all that. But on the other hand, the more stuff like that you do, the more it starts to feel like just public housing, right? It just, here, here's just a house for you, you know, that the, on courtesy of the taxpayers. And I think that's, as, as we've discussed, a lot of the, these folks, some of them have problems and we need to identify those problems, mental health or, or drugs, and, and help them with the underlying cause of their homelessness, or they're just, they're just mooching off the system. They're, they're content to be this comfortable and that's it. All they have yeah. to do is go stand on a corner for a few hours a day, collect enough yeah. money to, to get whatever they want. And then, and then they go to their, their government housing and, and get, you know, the services from that. And I think you want to avoid that. But if, if you're not going to avoid that, these little uh, pallet houses, just 50 of them at a pop. I mean, what is that? What is that going to look like? I mean, it starts yeah. to look like those kind of shanty towns in, in exactly. India or something where, where you just get all these little people in the middle medieval villages or cities would throw up these kind of shacks with a, basically a few boards of wood and a, a, a cloth. And it would just become this, this fire hazard little thing they put tucked in a corner somewhere. And how, how does that look? I mean, it starts to, I mean, people, people are concerned about say trailer parks or something that used to be a concern, but this is even s smaller little, little shacks I, uh, placed in, in, I don't know, not not necessarily prominent places, but how do you how do you improve the image of your city when these things start going up? And it, they're not they're not sightly. They're not they're just little little sheds for for poor people. I mean, it's just I don't think we're we're thinking it all through. And I think I think it's gonna it's it's gonna come back and bite 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 us that they're that they're doing this. I think you're gonna see a lot of damage of them. Anything valuable in them is gonna be taken and, and pawned. Uh, they're gonna become you know, basically homeless, uh, the tent city kind of feel from San Francisco, and but it's public government subsidized. And so we've, we've got that investment in it. Uh, I, I think I see a lot of problems. And I think it comes from the fact that we we're not willing to have real discussions about what's going on. Finally, in Cranston, Barbara Ann Fenton Fung, the representative of Alan Fung's wife, she is now uh, made it official. She's going to challenge Cranston Mayor Ken Hopkins in a primary. Any thoughts on that? Well, you know, I'm not I'm not intimately familiar with Cranston politics, but it, it does seem to me. I mean, they're they're all Republicans, right? I mean, it's it it feels like, and it feels like the problem is there's nowhere for her to go politically, uh, and so she's going to turn to back to city government, and I, I, that's that's just the feel. And she's been one of the more progressive legislators, so uh, in that respect, I'm not sure I, I'm confident in her chops as a as a Republican per se. But more than that, I just the, the feeling of of nepotism bothers me. Right? You you know, it's almost like uh, when the the dictator in a third world country dies and his his 
mistress or his wife becomes the the leader. I'm not saying that that she's necessarily just that. She she's obviously intelligent, and professional, and, and has a career of her own. But that that feeling of handing off. We we can't find more people we're comfortable with, and so we're going to go with the wife or the brother or the children of this politician we liked before. That always makes me uncomfortable. So I mean, I I, I don't know enough about the the local, you know political scene to, to say it'll be a bad thing but it just it, it gives it gives me a lot of bad feelings just on the surface of it I hate to see two republicans going at it in a primary yeah exactly <laughs> folks again our segment politics this week he is justin katz managing editor anchorising.com justin excellent job as always and we'll talk to you again thank you john i'll talk to you soon your oil needs make it henry oil call henry oil today 401-521-0200 reliable affordable fuel oil delivery call henry oil today fuel oil diesel gasoline delivery it's henry oil residential commercial fuel oil delivery since 1947 they also have budget plans service contracts lack lock and cap pricing you can depend on Henry Oil. Call them today, 401-521-0200. Serving most of Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. we got a long way to go with winter. Make sure that tank is filled. Call Henry Oil today, 401-521-0200. Henry Oil, a local family-run business since 1947 that you can depend on. For all your oil needs, call Henry Oil today, 401-521-0200. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Well, tonight, this is it. This is it. Who emerges? Well, with Iowa, it's tonight. It would certainly seem that President Trump is going to win. It's just a matter of how much he's going to win by. You know, it's interesting right now. That to me, that they're saying they're trying to set that the media is going to go after him if it's not more than 50%. Now, the person that's got a lot on the line, who's put more into this than anyone else, is Governor DeSantis. And right now, he seems to be third right now in Iowa. Let's pick up some of the sound. President Trump certainly seems to be leading in these polls in Iowa. By the way, no mail ballots in Iowa. You have to go and caucus in person. Let's pick it up with ABC. Break down the polls, what to watch for. Good morning, Rick. Yeah, George, good morning to you. And look, this is the lay of the land. The Des Moines Register poll that came out over the weekend, 48% of caucus goers say they for, Don- for Donald Trump. That would be a historic victory. To even approach 50% would be a big deal. And Nikki Haley in second place, that's a reordering of the race, and it would be a reordering of the expectations going forward. And I'll tell you, George, it tracks with what we're seeing nationally. This is our latest poll with Ips. So we asked people if they'd be satisfied with any of the candidates as the Republican nominee. Republicans, 72% of them say they'd be just fine, very satisfied with Trump. That's 10 points better than DeSantis. And look at that for Nikki Haley. Fewer than half of Republicans say they'd be satisfied if she wins the nomination. This is what to look for tonight. First, that margin of victory. Does Donald Trump set a record of 13-plus points? If he wins by 20 or 30, he's going to blow the others out of the water. But that battle for second is all important. Ron DeSantis has so much riding on this state. If he doesn't finish in second, and if he fades the third, that's bad for him and good momentum for Nikki Haley heading into New Hampshire. And turnout, a lot of people thought this would be a year we'd break the record turnout back in 2016, but that brutal weather probably holds it down. That means the diehards are going out. Maybe good news for Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. And in terms of watching those returns come in tonight, George, remember, Donald Trump actually lost the caucuses eight years ago. And that's probably not going to happen again, but the candidates would like to recreate some of what they did last time. So look to that northwest corner of the state, some heavily evangelical areas like Sioux County. That is where Ron DeSantis has to do very, very well. Look to the cities and the suburbs to look for Nikki Haley. Look out here in Johnson County. That's Iowa City, home to the University of Iowa. Those are the places that any kind of anti-Trump vote, if it exists, will materialize. You know, what's interesting is uh, Iowa, the state of Iowa has added 100,000 Republican voters. They're slowly flipping the country. Now, as far as Nikki Haley, a lot of talk that there could be a Trump-Haley uh, ticket. 
Let's pick the latest. She has certainly got some momentum. I don't think it's enough to surpass President Trump, but certainly could be enough to upend Governor DeSantis. Good morning, Robin. We're here at Nikki Haley headquarters. You can see they're setting up for tonight, and Haley is confident she's going to have a strong showing here in Iowa. We've been on the campaign trail with her all weekend. The weather has been a real hurdle. We saw semis in ditches on icy roads all across the state. And while she did have to cancel a few events, Haley determined to make her final call to caucus, appearing at the majority of them, reminding people that in a head-to-head -head with President Biden, current polls show she is the only candidate that beats him by a wide margin. You said you were going to have a strong showing here in Iowa. What does that mean? We won't know until we see what the numbers look like. You know, we want to have strong so that it can catapult us into New Hampshire. We expect it to be a two-person race in New Hampshire. And then we go to my sweet state of South Carolina. So it's one state at a time. The goal is to be strong in every state until we finish this. And her message appearing to resonate with people who voted for Trump twice, moderates, independents, and even Democrats who have told us that they plan to change their party affiliation so they can caucus for Nikki Haley. Now, that would be an interesting development. Now, uh, DeSantis, though, the race is down to three people. The race is down to three people. Right now, it's President Trump, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis. I don't see Ron DeSantis is plummeting in New Hampshire. I don't see... If he finishes third tonight, I think now, that's despite over. Nikki Haley pushing ahead in the polls, DeSantis is still projecting confidence. He believes he has a big advantage when it comes to the ground game, especially in getting people to these caucus sites in these sub-zero temperatures. DeSantis himself has visited all 99 counties here in Iowa, doing more events than Donald Trump and Nikki Haley combined. One DeSantis campaign staffer tells me they've actually identified precinct captains with SUVs, trucks, and four-wheel drive. They're bringing shovels and ice melt they're literally going to dig people out and transport them directly to these caucus sites and that includes picking up seniors from retirement homes desantis is back out there today multiple events making his final push he's telling people he doesn't mind being the underdog but his campaign knows that if he does not finish first or second place here in iowa it raises major questions about how he moves forward in this race robin i don't think he does the money dries up he put he was doing very well in Iowa. Folks, you just can't underestimate the amount of enthusiasm, momentum. Uh, President Trump sucks all the oxygen out of the room. It's interesting. Even last week when he's in the courtroom, he's never off the campaign trail because the speech is the same. He just continues to dominate. It was very wise for him to go to court because then he just steals the attention off Iowa and then keeps the attention on himself. I don't think unless he has a huge night governor DeSantis continues too bad he is a good governor i like him folks you're listening to the john DePietro show do you need a good plumber i found the best plumber jmb plumbing call them today all your plumbing needs 401 743-9153. JMB Plumbing. They've been providing plumbing services for years. Skilled professionals stand behind their work. Guarantee you will be happy. Maybe it's repairing damaged water pipes, repair clogged pipelines, maybe replace a, a water heater, as well as all your plumbing needs. Call them now. It's JMB Plumbing, 401 743 9153. Nothing throws off your life or your home or your business. When you need plumbing service, you need someone reliable, someone who's professional, someone who'll handle the job and do it right. It's JMB Plumbing. Call them today, 401 743 9153. JMB Plumbing. And look for them on Facebook. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. Right, let's go with some sound over the weekend, starting with John Kirby on Face the Nation, talking about Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin still in the hospital, still in the hospital since well, New Year's. Know, uh, let's listen to this. used to work very closely with the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Yes. Um, and as we were just talking about, everyone is hoping he pulls through this battle with cancer uh, healthy and strong. But 
Why is he still in the hospital? If he's able to work, why does he still need to be at Walter Reed? Well, again, I'm not I'm not his physician, so I want to be careful. But my understanding is that his, his, he's following his doctor's orders and in consultation with their views in terms of what kind of additional care he needs. Um, and we'll, we'll see you know, when he can get released. But obviously, they still feel like he, he may need some additional care. I understand uh, that uh, part of that is just physical therapy. So, OK. Does the president talk to him on a daily basis? Because I think one of the things that surprised a lot of people, knowing what a tinderbox the Middle East is, Europe is, and the concern about China, was how infrequently there was direct contact between the White House and the defense secretary for that entire period of time at the end of December through January. There's routine regular communications between the president and the secretary of defense as well as well as the secretary of state. Uh, and, and normally, like, for instance, the some of the strikes we took on Christmas Day, Christmas night, and then a few days later were pre-approved. Secretary Austin was part of that discussion. He was part of the discussion from his hospital room when we took these strikes against these Houthi sites uh, just a couple of nights ago. I mean, he's actively involved and engaged. Uh, and I think it's important for people to remember that the cabinet officials don't have to sit and talk every single day to make every decision. A lot of the work that gets done in national security is done at the staff level. Right, but there is a chain of command here. Of course there And is. the commander-in-chief didn't know that his defense secretary was this ill. And that's a problem. And the president has spoken to that. That That is not the way it's supposed to be. It's certainly uh, something we need to get more answers to. And the Pentagon's investigating this, and, and uh, we'll see what comes out of that. But that, that is not the way the process is supposed to work. No, it is not the way the process is supposed to work. And it continues. I mean, this is a joke. They obviously don't want to do anything while he's still in the hospital. But this is absolutely uh, ludicrous, um, completely unacceptable. And the fact that he is still in the hospital, to me, just shows just, come on, this is, listen, he's not the right person for the job. For whatever reason, whatever he did, uh, meaning whatever he did in the past, he's just not the right person in, in going forward. Now, uh Granted, all eyes on Iowa. I mean, that is the big story. But there's another story, and the story is just how poorly President Biden right now is doing with the polls. So listen to, let's go back to Face the Nation now and something that's a major priority for all voters. Here we go. What about uh, rhetoric like his remarks that immigrants are poisoning the blood of our country? A majority of Republicans say they agree with his statements. And we looked at it both ways. When we told them Donald Trump said it, even more agreed with it. So he has that effect. But they agreed with it anyway, even when we didn't note that Donald Trump had said it. And look, that's important because it also speaks tremendous. It is. And I think it speaks not just to issues with the border, but also to larger issues of race in this campaign. And I'll point it out this way. When we ask people what they think of diversity efforts in the U.S., the people who feel that diversity efforts in the U.S. have gone too far are overwhelmingly voting for Trump. The people who feel that they haven't gone far enough are overwhelmingly for Biden. And that tells you what that role of race is in the campaign. And that's an important dynamic, not just when we look at the strong Trump support, but what sets up one of the key narratives going forward in the 24 campaign. 100%. By the way, that's another one of those stories that you don't get any type of coverage locally. Now, listen to this on ABC's This Week. This is remarkable. Just 28% think that President Biden has the mental sharpness to effectively serve for another term. Listen to this. You have have the question of the president's age. I mean, it's just there in poll after poll, not just ours. Our poll, in fact, said 28%, just 28% think that President Biden has the mental sharpness to effectively serve for another term. Folks, that's very close to being 75% of voters and yet they're still pulling putting him up they're still putting him up ludicrous they have no they're going to have no one to blame but themselves for this with 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 the biden age thing is not going to get any better absolutely not going to get any better 
If anything, it could end up getting, you know, uh, let's let's watch that 75 percent could get go even could go even higher, as a matter of fact. So people do not believe that he's up for it and nothing. Nothing is going to change that. Let's listen to Biden campaign spokesman. His approval rating right now is just 33 percent. Listen to this reaction to that. That is a low number. 33%. Well, sure. There's a lot of polling that's flying around right now. There's also a recent polling that shows Biden up in states like Michigan and Pennsylvania last week. Uh, But frankly, we're not too focused on any polling at this stage in the race. We're focused on uh, doing what we're doing here today, right? Drawing the sharp contrast, making sure that the American people understand the stark choice that's going to be presented in front of them uh, come this no. There's a new poll out that shows DeSantis, Trump, Nikki Haley, all three will beat President Biden in a head-to-head matchup. Let them keep him up there. Let meaning let let them continue to have President Biden at the top of the ticket. It's going absolutely not going anywhere fast. So, when you have just 28%, less than 30% of the public thinks that President Biden has the mental sharpness to sure serve another term. Where do you think that is going? I like uh, the governor of Illinois upset with all the illegals being shipped to Illinois and Chicago. There's no doubt about that. And I think that the president needs to do more. The Congress needs to do more. Uh, Cities out here that are the target of this political game that Governor Abbott is playing uh, are suffering. And uh, here in Illinois, it's minus 29 degrees uh, outside with the wind chill. Uh, We have migrants that arrive from Texas virtually every day, uh, hundreds, and uh, we don't have places to put them. We don't have enough shelter space here. There are plenty of other cities where, you know, if he's going to send people, they could be sent. But no, he's choosing only Democratic states, Democratic cities. Well, not enough has been done. There's no doubt. about. The reason why Governor Abbott is choosing that is because you're the ones that are in favor of an open border. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. When it comes to insurance, you need a neighbor, a partner, and friend. You need Shoppa Insurance Agency. They're located right on Reservoir Avenue in Cranston. Call today, free consultation, 401-900-INSU, 401-900-4678, Shoppa Insurance, SIA. Stephen, very experienced, whether it's auto, home, renters, business insurance, flood, recreational, umbrella, any other protection for your assets, Rhode Island of Massachusetts, Shoppa Insurance Agency, your agency of choice. Call today, set up a meeting. They're so knowledgeable, can have everything under one roof. Call Shoppa Insurance today, 401-900-INSU or 401-900-4678. Look for them on Facebook, again, located Reservoir Avenue in Cranston, Shoppa Insurance Agency, your neighbor, your partner, your friend, one-stop insurance solutions. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, I always tout our website just because it has exclusive stories and video. It has links to on-the-scene live stream. Remember, there's no vo- uh, vowel I. It's D-E-P-E-T-R-O dot com, D-P-E-T-R-O dot com. You can also reach me that way if you'd like to get in touch with me. D-P-E-T-R-O dot com. Log on and then links to Facebook and YouTube. Everything we have, it's all waiting for you right there at the website. 